And we've seen many preachers, many very talented gifts, especially in the, in the, in the worship field, the music field, rise to the top, get all kinds of attention, and then have a failure, a moral failure. We've seen that with pastors, and we've seen that with well-known evangelists, people who are getting all kinds of attention, but inwardly they can't handle it because they haven't taken the time to mature inwardly to be prepared for the, what's going to come because of their gift that's outward. And that was this church. So Paul writes this letter addressing some of these issues. And one of them is because they were flowing in these spiritual gifts. There were gifts, there were miracles taking place, there was prophecy taking place all over the place. And, and you know, sometimes people come into a church service and say, well, that wasn't a very church spiritual service because I didn't see all the gifts of the Spirit going on. But the measure of the spirituality of church is not what you see on the outside. There's a purpose for those. It's the spiritual character on the inside. And so Paul writes to them about these gifts, what they are, and how they're supposed to operate. Chapter four, That's in chapter 12. Chapter 14, Paul writes about some of the specific gifts, especially the vocal gifts, tongues, and, and interpretation of tongues and prophecy, and sets those in the right perspective. But then in the middle, in chapter 13, which we call the love chapter, it's not really the love chapter. It's still about the spiritual gifts. Because basically what he says, if you do whatever you do, if it's not motivated by the love of God, in God's eyes it counts as... That's Greek for nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Not a good try. Nothing. So Paul writes to them what this love is like that has to motivate your spiritual operation because if this is not motivating your spiritual operation, then spiritually it's still babyish. It's baby talk. And as he moves over into the perspective of this, there's this one verse, and this is all a build-up so you can understand the context of this verse. 1 Corinthians 13 Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child. Now, those of you that either have had children or have been a child can relate to this, because there's baby talk. Our youngest children were twins, identical twins. They still are. And, And... Uh, and it took them a while to begin to converse with us in our language because they had a language of their own. And still, they still do to some degree. And they would just commune with each other and fellowship with each other and we were getting concerned because they didn't start speaking English as early as our two other children do. And then I began to realize they didn't need to because they had somebody to talk to was each other. But then there came a point where they learned our language. Oh, this is good. Your parents had a language that when you were a child, you had to learn. It wasn't deposited in you. Because until you came to that stage, you talked your own language. That wasn't tongues. And your, your parents, in order to commune with you, might get down at your level and talk at your level. Goo, goo, ga, ga, isn't that cute? But if you're 22 and you're still go, they're still going goo, goo, and ga, ga, there's a problem on both sides. So Paul's saying, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. Now that's not just the child talk of gibberish. Young children have a talk that the way they talk. We're going to get into that. I spoke as a child, and that's perfectly normal. I understood as a child. Children don't understand things the way adults do. And I thought as a child. 
But when I became a man, when I moved into another stage of life, I put away childish things. Say, but didn't Jesus tell us to be like a child? No, Jesus told us to be childlike. Paul saying, don't be childish. What's the difference? That's what we're going to get into. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. So it's a child speaks a certain way, a child understands a certain way, and a child thinks as a certain way. But when we become an adult, we are to put away childish talk, childish understanding, and childish thinking. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's begin to talk about these stages of physical growth. From, they go from an infant to a mature adult. And again, this is not a scientific analysis. I don't have the background to do that. This just comes by simple observation and some simple reading that I've done. And these stages parallel directly this, our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity. Each stage has a purpose. It has its own characteristics, and from God's design, it has its own appointed time. Each stage has its own purpose, its own characteristics, and its own appointed time. And we're going to look at those. Each stage is preparing us for the next stage. As I was preparing this, going over this message this morning and praying, I I remembered a study, and I don't remember where it was, it's so long ago, and I, I didn't want to take the time to go on the internet. But there's a study that's been done that, that, that is able to identify a number of problems that adults have in their relating to one another in their own maturing that can be attributed to having skipped a step. Even such as children that learn to walk before they crawled, this study shows that it has an effect on them down the line. So if you're rushed from one... See, as parents, especially with the first one, we just can't wait for them to walk, we can't wait for them... And then they get independent, you can't wait for them to go back crawling. (laughs) It's fun to see young mothers, you know. How oh, I can't wait for them to walk. I said, yes, you can. <laughs> Listen to experience because right now they stay where you put them. As they grow up, they go where they want to go and then they begin to drive where they want to drive. <laughs> so sometimes we want to rush them along, but there are purposes for each stage. Uh, we're, this is going to parallel spiritually. And there's a time involved for each stage. So you can't spend, you know, okay, and we had four children. They didn't go through the same stages at the same rate. We don't go through the same stage, but you've got to go through the same stages. So the first stage is is that of infancy. Oh, wait a minute. The other point I have here, make sure I cover my notes. The transition from one stage to another is difficult. It's challenging. It's uncomfortable. There's a... There's a... um, there's a psalm, I think it's 131. It's a short, one of the shortest ones where, where David says, Like a weaned child, I have quieted myself and my mother. As a, as a weaned child quiets itself in a mother's lap. And we don't, I, don't know if he, I don't know. It's been so long since we've had small children. Um, but the weaning process is when, was, was then when the child was taken away from the, from the breast as the source of nourishment. 
as the child was growing up, as the infant, the child was fed through breast milk, and that was a comfort to the, to, with the mother's warmth and, and the cuddling and all that went with that. I'm not talking about whether you should breastfeed or not feed. But when, when the mother decided it was time to move on to solid food, the comfort of mother feeding the child, they didn't have to chew, they didn't have to swallow, it was taken away from them, and a child would go through a difficult time called being weaned, means separated from that stage of their growing to be moved into another stage they didn't want to go into, and it caused a disruption, it caused frustration. And David said, but once you come, well, once you come through the process, then there's a quieting down. And in that psalm, David said, like a child that's finished the separation from that first stage and now is resting in its mother's lap, so Israel should learn to rest in God as its father and trust in Him. So each stage is, is a transition from one to another. And the successful, this is so important to where we're going, the successful transition of a child from one stage to another requires, as God has ordained, it requires the loving care and nurturing atmosphere of a family to provide the support, the direction, the correction that's needed. And we're living in a society today that's reaping the harvest and fruit of children that have been raised in families that are not like that. And many of us in here are the result of that. The good news is in the family of God, those things can be healed and those things can be restored. We're talking about our physical. So, this is so important because in order for a child to grow and mature properly, they need certain basic things. They need to know that they're safe because a child will not grow up and mature if they don't know they're safe. Otherwise, everything they do will be designed to protect themselves. Even as they become physical adults, they're still motivated by protecting myself. So they isolate themselves from other relationships because they may hurt me because I was hurt as a child. And there are other, many other ways. They need not only a loving atmosphere, that, but out of that love, a nurturing atmosphere. Nurturing isn't just loving, accepting you where you are. Nurturing is to helping you to grow, encouraging you to grow. And we're going to look at some specifics of that today. And that also involves correcting. Because not every child does what they're supposed to do. In fact, every child at some point does not do what they're supposed to do. And that's how they learn is by being corrected, disciplined is the term. And what are we called to do by Christ? What are we called to be? What's the term? Disciples. That means disciplined followers of Christ. And the church today in the United States is anything but a disciplined follower of Christ. And I'll let you in a clue. That's where we're headed this year. To become disciplined followers of Christ. We like the idea of following Christ. It's the discipline part. That, but you can't follow Him unless you're allowing Him to discipline you. But discipline doesn't mean punishment. It means training. It means training. If you were ever in the army or in the armed forces and you go into the... They don't, they don't start you out putting a uniform on you, handing you a gun and saying, okay, now take your place in your unit, because whenever they come, you put in the battle, you can just go shoot. No, everybody 
Even if your father was, joint, was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, everybody goes through basic training. Before they'll trust you to do anything, they want you to have basic training. After you come through that, they give you training in other fields, but it's got to start with basic That's just discipline. Training. And they have you in a classroom to learn information, but then they put you out on the field. And you have to go through... De- it, it all starts with the wake-up call. The very first message that's communicated to you is you're no longer your own. You belong to me, the drill sergeant, the drill sergeant says. Your sergeant says... I own you now. We're going to tell you where to, how to wear your hair. We're going to tell you what to eat. We're going to tell you when to get up, when to go to bed. And we're going to tell you every step along the way between when you get up and when you go to bed. And we're going to tell you what your attitude is. The shock that I'm no longer my own. I'm old enough to remember when Elvis Presley reported for... for, for he was drafted and reported for military training. And Elvis Presley, for those of you that aren't old enough, had these beautiful locks that he'd go like this and the ladies would just swoon all over the place. And here you have this international star known as the king. And he had to stand in line with Joe Schmo in front of him and Bill Bopti or whatever his name is behind him. He had to be just like all the rest of them. He had to sit in a barber chair and they went and all the anointing of the king just fell on the, just fell on the floor. But here's the problem as a Christian. You can skip those steps. Because I, I, I don't want to go through that. I, I want to I I stand behind a pulpit. I want to have my ministry. I, I want I I, I a gun in my hand. Because I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit looks at you and says, You're dangerous with a gun. Because people will follow you. So we need to take you through some basic training. But whereas in the army, they would send you orders to show up at Fort Bragg or, or wherever it is, and if it was the Marines, you really got trained because they have a higher standard of excellence because of the mission that they have. And when you become a Christian, there's no orders sending you to some... Well, there were. They sent you to Faith Christian Center. But they're not orders you see. I, I remember when I was... It's a long story, but I not get into it. Okay. All right, everybody still okay? So it's important because as a child, we need that atmosphere of love and acceptance and security and, and provision. And if it's not there, when we move on to the next physical stage our emotional maturity hasn't caught up with it because it still has the need back there at the early stage. So we will have to try to get it ourselves and that always involves manipulation. It always involves some aspects of our personality that are not conducive to right relationships with one another and then ultimately with the Lord. So let's talk about that first stage. It's infancy. What is an infant? An infant's a brand new... He's a newbie. He's just born. His child is just born. It's always wonderful to watch when a parent brings in their, their newborn for the first time to church. I can tell what they are because all the ladies collect. 
And some of the men, my wife does that to Claire. It's like, why are we, have you ever thought, why are you so excited about a, a brand new baby for the first time? You ever think about it? What can that baby do? <laughs> Nothing that's productive. They're just total need. But it's a fresh life. It's, it, it reminds us of a fresh start. That child's potential is all before it. And when you come to Christ, your potential is in front of you. This is why we, it, what revitalizes a church is continuing to see people born again, continuing to see people become new creatures in Christ. It reminds me every time I see that of my birth, of my new birth. It just calls me back to that. But let's talk about what an infant is, first of all, aside from a new life. An infant, an infant is all need. It needs someone to feed them. It needs someone to physically move them around. It needs someone to clothe them. And as they process the food you put in them, it needs someone to clean up what was processed. A baby left on its own will die. They've discovered in Romania, because there were so many orphans, that even though they've been physically fed, even though been physically clothed, there were so many of them, there was no one to hold them and to nurture them and to, and to make them feel safe and secure, that they would, they would never grow up emotionally. It scarred them. So part of God's design, in fact, this is just me, I believe part of why God, and again, ladies, we, but I'll, I'll qualify it, is the reason God, how do I put this, Lord, designed the mother's anatomy so that as she nursed the child, she would hold that child in her arms and look in that child's eyes and that child would look back. For nine months she's carried that child inside of her and developed a relationship not having seen this child, although nowadays you've got you know, devices that can kind of show you how many are there and we won't go there. But now she can actually... And, and but what's happening is... And the mother's love for that child is developing and growing deeper. And there's a bond that's growing deeper and deeper and deeper in that child. And even if it's, you're not nursing her with your milk but a, but a bottle, you're still holding that child and looking in that child's arm. What's being communicated to that child is not just food. Far more important than that is this, safety, this fe- sense of safety, this sense of security, this sense that I'm loved. That, but, and so that's what's so critical for this child to begin to prepare to move into the next stage. The other thing about an infant is everything revolves around me. I'm, I'm only aware of me when I'm an infant. An infant only knows several basic things. I'm hungry or I'm full. And if you're hungry, you, you, you send off the announcement that I need. If you're wet or dirty, somebody needs to change me. I let them know they need to change me. If I've got a stomach ache, I don't know what it is. I don't kind of figure it out. I just let people know I'm in discomfort. Do something about it. So everything in an infant's world is oriented around the infant because the infant doesn't know anything other than themselves and they don't even know who they are. When I was a child, I thought as a child. And then as they begin to grow, and they begin to mature, 
At this stage, they're not aware of others. They're not even aware that they are somebody. They're only aware of their needs. And then as they begin to grow and mature, they begin become aware of parts of themselves. It's interesting. They've done studies. When a child begins to... There's a name for it, too. Where a child begins to discover their foot, and they touch it, and they realize, somebody touched my foot. Who was that? Oh, it was me. That's part of me. So a child begins to discover, and there's a name for this. As they, you know, notice how they move a lot all the time? They're literally programming their nervous system from the inside out so that they can begin to control better the outer parts of their nervous system. Because you hand a two-month-old a cup of milk with no cover on it, But as they grow and mature and their, their nervous system begins to develop and becomes more refined and their brain begins to identify parts of it, they begin to become aware of themselves. And then they begin to become aware that, okay, there's me, but there's you, and you're not me, and I'm not you. And this is in the toddler stage. There's a name for that. It's called the glorious twos. In this stage, they're still totally dependent. But now they become more aware of their surroundings. They're still totally dependent on their parents for everything, but they begin to try to do things by themselves. They begin to have confidence and initiative, and, I, and this is where, no, me, I want to do it. So you go to feed them and they grab the spoon, they're going to learn to do this themselves. They're trying to grow up. They're trying to develop, they're beginning to realize that I have some skill, I have some ability here, and I want to use it. And, and this is where a parent needs wisdom to know, okay, it's safe for you to try to put the spoon in your mouth, but that fork's not safe because I don't have confidence yet in your skill to hit the opening, the right opening. Okay? And so, but it's still centered around them. They also begin to realize that there are others out there in this family unit and that they're part of something that's greater than themselves. They also begin to realize there's dangers out there. Everything's not safe and secure. You can, you can bump your head in things. You can, there, the, the, the life is not just like it was in the womb. There's risks out there and there's dangers. But if this child is raised with a security and nurturing, what they will do is they'll begin to venture out and the most obvious one, and I was shared with you last week, our, our daughter. She's the only one I really remember clearly because we were on vacation. We were visiting Anita's parents, and I can still see the scene in their living room. We still have our travel clothes on, you know, and uh, Anita's sitting in one chair on one side, and I'm sitting over here. And our daughter stands up, and as she's been doing for a while, grabbed hold of the table, and she's walking around. So she knows she can walk. She's just not comfortable enough she can do it on her own. So she's walking around this table, and we're all talking with one another, and all of a sudden I see this look in her eye. She sees mom, and she sees the table, and she thinks, I think I can do it, okay? And so she begins to take those first wobbly steps. What's she's doing? She's beginning to venture out. I think I can do something I couldn't do before. So she begins to venture out and to wobble, and in most cases they go, boom, and they sit down on the padding that we give them and God gave them. And then what do we as parents do? Well, how come you didn't make it across the room? I did at your age. 
Your brothers were walking before you got to this stage. You were trying. How come you quit? Well, what's going to happen there? No, what do we do? We come on behind them and we pick them up and we say, we, wow, wasn't that wonderful? Look at this. And then you set them down again. Everybody looks at them and they get this look on their face. And then she got over and said, I did it! And now she wants to walk everywhere. It's wonderful to see young children in here. They'll walk, they walk down this aisle. This aisle is great. It's just a long open track I can go. And they, 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 walk, you know, and they don't look stable at all because they're not. But the good news is they don't have far to fall. All right? That's toddler. We could go on a lot. They also learn how to interact with others, first in their family and then with others outside of their family. They discover that everything isn't mine. But they want mine. So they want their older brother's toys. They want to interfere with things and they have to discover there's boundaries between me and other people in my family. Okay. All right. And they learn that the family does not revolve around them. Because when they're an infant, everything revolves around you. All right. We need to move on. The next stage is childhood. And, I, you know, in some of the studies I've looked at, they give you ages. But it varies by person. So I'm not going to get into ages. A child is still, devel- is still dependent, but they're developing their own identity and forming their own character. They develop more skills to take care of their basic needs. So a child learns how to dress themselves. A child learns how to feed themselves. A child learns to do certain things for themselves. Okay, I've got to move on here. I'm just pointing out things to you you already know. But they still need to be within a safe and nurturing environment of a family. They're more aware that they're part of a family unit, and hopefully as their parents give them responsibilities through chores and things, they learn not only to receive the benefits of being part of the family, but they learn they need to contribute as being part of the family. We had chores for our kids. We had rules for our kids. Okay. They're learning to be responsible for themselves for their room, for their clothes, for their own cleanliness. And part of their growth in maturing, and this is important, parent, is making mistakes. They will make mistakes. But it's your loving protection, your loving believing in them that helps them go beyond the mistakes to, 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 to learning how to do this and to do this within a loving family unit where they receive love and constructive correction. Then you go from childhood to the fun stage, to be in or to have somebody in adolescence. In adolescence, you're still dependent to a degree. You just resent the dependence. You're still at a stage where you're, 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 you're partially an adult, and some days you're an adult, and some days you're not. I remember one of my friends years ago had a child that was at this age, a young, young, young man at this age, and he said, it's amazing to watch. One day this boy, one day this boy is, is, is doing work with me and it's my same level. The next day he's playing in a tree with his younger siblings. You know, so it's like, it gets confusing because you're, you're in a transition. And because of that, not only are there physical things taking place, hormonal things are taking place, but, but, they, but you're not sure, am I adult? Am I, a t- am I a child yet? I don't know who I am yet. And that can be very, very unsettling. Not only it's a time for testing, and testing's not bad. It's a time for testing authority, beliefs. It's a time for testing their abilities. Often uh, adolescents are risk takers because they're going to live forever. So whatever I do, I can do, and it's not going to hurt me. I don't, you know, I can live forever. I, you know, there's a confidence that begins to happen. 
Another interesting thing about adolescents or teenagers, by the way, teens that are in here, I hate when I was a teenager hearing this. My mother used to say, well, you're just going through a stage, and it would make me so mad. <laughs> to me, that was demeaning. It wasn't, I wasn't experiencing these things. So I don't mean that in this sense. I'm trying to help the adults, okay? I'm trying to help them. I'm not talking to you. I'm trying to help the adults grow up. Okay. Not, not only that, they can feel awkward and difficult. Physically awkward because they're going through changes. And the more important thing is often teenagers begin to identify more with their peers than with their family. They want to be around people that are going through the same things they're going through. They want to go or be around people that, that then by, by doing so, they validate what I am. Uh, your parents don't, my parents don't understand. Mine don't either. Immediately there's a bond there. And I, I remember at that stage, you know, wanting to wear whatever. I'm going <laughs> to... I, I, I grew up in the 60s. I grew up before that. I was in the 60s when I was in high school and then went into college. And it was, it was the big thing to have long hair and wear old army jackets. Then they didn't want to go into the army. <laughs> and we, we were nonconformists. And all of us nonconformists looked, looked the same. So we nonconformed together <laughs> to be nonconformists and couldn't see it. Why? Because I'm with others that are helping me feel okay because they're just like I am. Now, we're going somewhere with all this, so you know, don't get too comfortable. So they identify more with their peers, others going through the same stage. Why? Because you're always more uncomfortable, you're always more comfortable with people that are like you. Because it validates you. We're not comfortable when we have to relate to people that are not like us. Which is one of the reasons I don't want to have a church that's all older generation or younger generation. There are churches out there that all they want is younger generation. The problem is how they, what happens when they grow up? Send them here. When they grow up, we have to learn how to relate to people at all different ages and all different stages because it's when you only relate to people like you, you never grow because they don't challenge you. That's one of the reasons we like to hang out with our peers because they don't challenge us. If I'm around somebody that's more spiritually mature in some area or is, or is out there witnessing the souls, that challenges me. I'm not comfortable with that. I'd rather hang out with the rest of us that don't want to do that because we feel good about ourselves. There was a book that was popular before I got... No, I, yeah, before we got saved. Dealing with inadequacies. And the book, some of you remember this, I'm okay, you're okay. Yeah, remember that book? You know what the base of that book says? Let's lie to each other. If I tell you you're okay and you tell me I'm okay, we'll both agree we're okay. The problem is we're not. <laughs> That's why we need Jesus who made us okay. Okay. Adulthood. Adulthood, we've never fully arrived there, but there are landmarks to show maturity. First of all, we develop an independence. We're independent in the sense that we can function on our own. However, God has made us to need each other. And we can only grow, prosper, and succeed through the relationship with others. God uses our relationship with one another to demonstrate His love, grace to each other, and to the world, and to administer His love and carry encouragement and correction. But only God can be the source of our identity 
Well, this is where a lot of marriage trouble happens. We're trying to use our spouse to do what God has to do for us and have God do what our spouse has to do for us. And that will never work. If God is not the source of your identity, if God is not the source of your security, then your marriage is going to struggle because you're going to try to make your spouse do things for you that only God can provide for you. And they're not equipped to do that. Okay, and that's not just with... It can be with parents, it can be with other Christians. So not only have, have an adult developed personal responsibility, and this is a big one. True adulthood is not that I've just accepted responsibility for myself, but I'm willing to expect responsibility for others and what they're going through and their shortcomings. And we'll see this as we get into it. So now I want to very quickly, I want to begin to touch, we may not get through this, I want to take those physical stages and now apply them to spiritual stages. Okay? The spiritual stages of maturing are not a function of time, whereas your body it is. But it's a function of experience and in knowledge. When we're born again, we're born a second time is what that means. When you come to Christ, you're born again. That word means again, means a second time, and it means from above. But that birth is not your body. That's what Nicodemus had trouble understanding. That birth is your inner man, your spirit man, the real you. That old man died, and a new one was birthed in you. And what birthed that in you is a seed also, but it's a spiritual seed that was conceived in you by the Spirit of God. Just as we talked about on Christmas, that that angel said to Mary, she said, you're going to be the father, you're going to be the mother, you're going to bring into this earth the Son of God. And she said, how can that be? I'm a virgin, I've never been with a man. He says, because the the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. That literally means come upon you and in you. And He will conceive in you the Son of God. Well, that same process is how God conceives in us the Spirit of His nature to become His children. But then it's a maturing process. It's a process of growing and maturing as a child of God. So you have this anomaly. You can have somebody that's 70 years old and emotionally mature, physically mature, but now get saved and inside they're a baby. So outwardly they're a grown man. Inwardly they're a baby. So many directions I could go with this, but you don't have time. And so what are the marks of a spiritual baby? They're hungry for the Word. I couldn't put the Word down. I looked for times to get my Bible open. I'd have to go to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning because I was, I was so excited reading it. I devoured everything I could get my hands on, listened to whoever I had to listen to without any discernment. They're full of enthusiasm and often dangerous. I was dangerous. I won't have time to get into the details, but we went on a, on a, on a vacation with Anita's sister and brother-in-law. And I almost killed them. Not physically, but with my tongue. They want to know, what is this you've gotten into? And remember, I was a lawyer then. I could do things with my tongue. I could, boy, I could... And I let it all loose for almost a week. But I didn't know any better. I had them cut up in little pieces. I mean, I was, it, just, it, it almost destroyed our relationship. It took years, years I'm talking about, to recover that relationship at a really close level. We're dangerous. Romans 10, 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. Verse 2. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And that's a new Christian. They have a zeal for God. And the zeal's wonderful, but they need, they need just as in a family, that child now needs comfort. It needs direction, someone around them to help channel that zeal. So does a Christian. Okay, we've got to move on. They need to be fed. A new, a new Christian needs to be fed. Not pick their own food. They need to be fed. 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and evil speaking, we'll go there later on, verse 2, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. How is a baby fed? with the milk of the Word. Just as that mother's milk, just as that bottle is what that new baby needs for them to... because their, their internal digestive system cannot eat meat at that time. They can't handle it. What will happen if you put, try to get a child to eat meat? What's going to happen to it? It's going to come back out again. And you try to give a brand new Christian meat, they won't get it. It will come back out again. They need the milk of the Word. They need encouragement. They need acceptance. As with an infant, they're going to make mistakes. As with a child, a small child, they're going to make mistakes. Many new babies in Christ, listen carefully, die at this stage of their growth because no one takes them under their care and guidance. Imagine coming out of the hospital with your new baby, coming home, saying, wasn't that a wonderful experience? Taking a child into a nursery and leave them there and go back about your life the way it was before. Well, they're born again. They're born. They're alive. If they survive, they won't grow up. And this is where many new believers are because there's no one to nurture them. We're going to talk about that as we come further along in this study. Toddler. Oh, we've got to move along. A toddler in Christ is more aware of other Christians and the difference with the world. More aware, wait a minute, there's something different now as a Christian. I'm not supposed to be like the rest of the world. So they begin to notice that difference the way a physical toddler does. They're beginning to, beginning to discover what it means to be a Christian, that they need others, that they're not independent, they're not alone, they're not, this is not all about me. They also begin to become aware they're part... This is where a lot of you are. We begin to become aware we're part of something bigger than ourselves. It's not everybody exists for me. We exist for each other. In a family, that's necessary. In a church, it's just as necessary. Still, their view of life as a spiritual toddler is centered around them, their wants, their needs. They begin to venture out and often have many slips and falls and they need loving help to pick them up and try again, and they're in need of much encouragement. They discover, discover that they need to get along with others and to share their toys. <laughs> now a child. A child, as a physical child, becomes aware that he's part of a family and has responsibilities as well as benefits. So a young Christian, as he's maturing as a ch- in this next stage, sees that, that child, he's part of a larger body and begins to realize that he can do things for himself with God. And a, a, a young Christian needs to learn that, that 
He can pray for himself and God will hear him. But so often we get Christians that they never grow past the stage, I need everybody to pray for me. Of course, I'm not praying for anybody else, but I need everybody to pray for me. I, I, God won't hear my prayers. I need other people to pray for me. It's interesting. I've known of children that had greater faith than their parents did because God will hear their prayers. That was popular. Okay. All right. We've got to move along. They also, they also need to learn to use their own faith. So many Christians at this stage still rely on the faith of others. And, and it's scriptural to get others to agree with you, but you need to exercise your faith or it will never grow. And here's the problem with spiritual growth. God will not let you skip a step. So if you're still trying to rely on other people, when God knows it's time for you to begin to exercise your faith, you'll find other people's prayers will stop working for you. Because God's waiting for you to say, how come it's not working? Because now God can say, it's time for you to grow up and begin to use your faith because you're lazy and won't do what they've done to develop their faith. Amen or oh me. (laughs) Also at this stage, very often we get stuck. This is where so many Christians get stuck. They never see that they're part of a larger group and that they need to contribute because they're part of that group. A child is marked by curiosity and patience and impatience. A child asks endless questions. Why? 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 And as a spiritual child, that's okay. That's how they learn. They're also easily moved by others. Look at uh, Ephesians 14. I'm not, I, we haven't got time to look at the Scripture. We're going to get into this later on. But Ephesians 4, starting in verse 15, talks about the process of, of maturing together. And it says, when a child is, is blown about by every wind of doctrine. A child, a spiritual child, is, chases after the latest fad, the latest thing, that, the latest popular speaker, the latest, have you heard brother so-and-so, have you seen this, have you watched, listen to this, wow, and they run all over the place and don't get rooted and grow up. Oh, Lord. When we were in Bible school, we were in Tulsa, which is spiritual Disneyland. I mean, every major popular speaker came to town. And, And there were times, you know, big name speakers were speaking at Rainbow, we went to school, and we lived two blocks there. We could walk there. And they had night service. But our church we were part of was an almost 40 minutes away at the other side of the city. And when Big Brother Doodad was speaking at Raymond on Sunday night with all the attention, we went to our local church because that's where we were rooted. Now, if we didn't have a service, we would have gone there. But I'm convinced we would not be where we are today unless we allowed our, Him to root us and ground us. A child looks at people and other things only as how they affect them. Well, they didn't pay attention to me. They chose somebody else to be an usher. They didn't look at me. Pastor didn't look at me when I went by him. Pastor may have had his mind on 14 things and just didn't see you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's put it up there quickly. We'll cover this again in a way because it's so important. So a child looks at people and things 
only as how they affect them. Brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babies in Christ. That's what he's calling them. The Corinthian church were babies in Christ. Verse 2. How did he know that? I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you're still not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able. Verse 3. How do I know that? Because you're still carnal. Where there's envy, strife, and divisions. Now what's at the root of envy, strife, and divisions? I'm not getting what I want. Envy is you have a position I want. Strife is I don't like what you did. I don't like what you're saying. And divisions are I'm different from you. So the root of all these things is me. It revolves around me and Paul says I don't care how long you've been in church you're a baby in Christ. So what does a child need? Loving, correction, and discipline which is what we're doing this morning. We're not going to deal with adolescence. Next week we're going to pick up on these phases and how the church, and I'll, I'll leave you with this point, whereas in a, in a child, a physical child, what it takes for that child to grow and mature is a loving family that provides the love and safety and security as well as the correction, the discipline, and the growth, the challenges that are needed for growth. Where do we get that as a Christian? In the church. The church is not just an assembly place to come. We are a, a family that provides that same nurturing, that same care, that same correction, that same direction that a family is to provide to enable its children to grow and mature. And next week we'll look at those scriptures and then next week we'll begin to look at what does it mean to be a spiritual adult. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word tells us because you love us, because you're a loving father, you will discipline us. You will train us. You will equip us. And as we go into this study together, we're asking you by the Spirit of God to do that in our lives. And we thank you for the Spirit working in us to accomplish this in Jesus' name.